we are in a series called Real Talk. And if you've been here, who's been here the last couple weeks? Yeah? So you know kind of what we're getting into. We're talking about sex and what the Bible has to say about it. Um, week one, we talked about kind of how the Bible introduces itself, okay? Um, if you were getting into a, a book, you wouldn't necessarily start in the middle of the book. You would start at the beginning, obviously, right? If you want to understand, or if it's a whole series, like if you were to maybe start like the Harry Potter series on like book five, you would miss all kinds of content on explaining how you got there. And so it's important that we start literally in Genesis 1, because in Genesis 1 and 2, God kind of sets it all up. Here's, here's what he says in Genesis chapter 1. This is God talking to himself. Why is he talking to himself? Because he's crazy? No. He's going to say, let us make man in our likeness after our image. And he's going to say us. Because the, the Trinity, that's all there was in the be beginning, right? It talks about the earth being a place that was formless and void. That's like the second verse in the Bible, right? And so God, in his own perfection, says, I want to create. And in the midst of the creation, uh, we have the six days and all of that. But we have this moment kind of at the end, the capstone of creation was humanity, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock of all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That is such an important thing for you to understand if you're reading the Bible, it's like, oh man, it's, it's, it's big. I, it's so, it's like there's so, there's so much there. It was written 2,000 years ago. Like I just don't understand it. Well, let me just give you kind of the beginning of the story, right? God wanted to create, and the capstone of his creation was humanity. And a couple things that he says about you made in his image, there is something about you and the way you were created that bears the likeness and the image of God. That's crazy. Like, your pets don't bear the image of God. This building, man-made, the trees, none of it. The sky does not bear the image of God like male and female do. And so there's just something about humanity that's special about the way he created. And then, in chapter 2, he's going to say this. Actually, um, well, yeah, I'll, okay, so chapter 2 Verse uh, 24, we talked about this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let me scoot back to Genesis 1. His first command was be fruitful and multiply. That's his first command. And fill the earth and subdue it. That's Genesis 1, 28. Okay, so in those first two chapters, there's just kind of this, this is how the story begins. Okay? This is how the story begins. I'm going to tell you. The reason we're talking about the topic of sex is because I think that our culture has kind of turned that story on its head, and a lot of people have completely rejected it. A lot of people would say it's a lie. A lot of people would say we're misinterpreting it, and they're trying to push it to the side so that we can kind of do what we want to do, right? And so 
if we can, if we can tear apart what the Bible says, then we really have nothing, nothing, no authority, no kind of governing structure to kind of give us some guidance. Because, and I think I said this last week, we kind of have this idea that the Bible, the way the Bible's like described, like tell me what the Bible is. God's love letter to humanity. Like, nah, that, no, that grosses me out, okay? It's not what it is. It's not what it is. Um, you can say that's what it is, and that's cute, and that works in your journal uh, or for your sermon notes, but, like, that's not what it is. It's even, like, God's instructions for life is kind of rough. If you read the Bible, you're seeing a lot of bad examples. It's just a lot of bad examples. And so what is the Bible? Some people say it's like, well, it's just like a rule book. And that's, I think, what a lot of people end up thinking. It's our rule book. It's what tells us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Is there stuff in there about how much God loves you? Yes. Are there instructions? Are there guidelines, rules? Yes, yes, yes. It's all, it's all that. But it's a collection of like 40 different authors over the course of like 1,500 years that were inspired by God to write what we now know as the scripture. And that inspired word means that they were God's words and that like some human was just like writing stuff down and it really wasn't that human's words. It was God's words. Okay, that's how we come to understand not just what the Bible is, but like how important it is. Like it is our authority, and so the reason we're talking about this is because the culture has essentially said, this Bible doesn't matter. And what this Bible has to say means nothing for you today. Because they would say it's a book written 2,000 years ago. Right? Do, you, do you live by any other books written 2,000? No, I don't. You know, do I? Whatever, you know, like, there's lots of excuses for that. But I also would say that our culture isn't very pretty right now. In all of our rejection of the things of God, this is just my opinion. I've not gotten into the sermon yet. I mean, I'm preaching some scripture here and I want to maybe convince you like, cause I'm persuaded that there's a creator out there. I was sitting around a campfire with some guys talking this week. And I said, man, I look around at all this stuff, the rhythms of the sun and the moon and the, the tides coming in and out, the things that are keeping our body breathing right now without our uh, effort screams a creator. It just does. It just does. In fact, the Bible would even say, I mean, God has kind of made himself evident in the fact that all of this is so intricate and like couldn't possibly be just a happenstance like accident. You saw some explosion. At the end of the day, you and I have to decide where we put our faith. But what I want you to know, and this is how I'm introing tonight, a lot of people in this culture, please don't miss this. I've said this before, I'll say it again. A lot of people in culture think that people who believe what the Bible says to be true, they think that we're out trying to just judge people. We're trying to tell people how to live. Listen, I ain't trying to tell anybody how to live. I need you to not get it twisted and listen to this statement. I'm just saying that as I look around, everything seems to come from a creator and as I've studied this book for like 20 years in and out, it seems to be like exactly what it says it is. And God has shown himself faithful to me and my friends, members of this church and this community. And I know that not everyone agrees with me. 
And you're welcome to roll those dice and find out for yourself. You should be scared when I say that right now. You are welcome to roll the dice and gamble your life away. But the reason I'm here in front of you is because a lot of people have rolled the dice. I've been doing this for a long time. And they roll the dice, and they say, I just kind of do it how I want. And they come back around, they say, I wish I wouldn't have gambled. I wish I wouldn't have just been so flippant with my decision about sex. I wish I wouldn't have been so flippant about my decision to date this person or that person or marry this person or that person. It's a serious decision. And quite honestly, the Bible starts with creation and then like a man and a woman being joined as one flesh. So I'm aware now, let me transition. I'm aware that it sure seems like all we want to talk about, sex is bad, sex is bad. Like, so here's my question I want to pose to you. Is sex sin? Are you telling me or are you asking me? Okay. Sex is not sin. Can it be used sinfully? Absolutely it can. Now, I'm talking to a group of people who may or may not be a Christian. So let me just address the elephant in the room. You can completely disagree with me. Maybe you're here because this is... Uh, a time to get away in the middle of the week to take a break from school and to catch up with friends and hang out. And like, let me tell you, you will always be welcome here. 365. Well, we're not here 365 days a year. We're just Wednesdays. So 52 Wednesdays a year, right? You're welcome here. Um, you will always be welcome at this church. You are my friend. I consider you my friends, okay? There's nothing, I'm not, I'm not like, ooh, they don't do this or they don't do that. Like my goal here, is just to teach you what I've learned about what the scripture says. And because I realize that the stigma is kind of like, well, it seems like it's all about don't do this and don't do that. It seems really negative. So what does the Bible tell us about what is and isn't sin? I would like to, for the few moments that we have here, look at a couple different verses, okay? In 1 Corinthians 6, there's, uh, there's four specific verses I want to show you. We've seen these uh, before in the series, but I want to say them again because we're going to drill down on one of the words. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, I believe is the first passage. We read this before. Don't be immoral in matters of sex. That is a sin against your own body in a way that no other sin is. Let me pause, just give you context, okay? The Corinthians were a people. Out of the Corinthian people in that, like, nation there was a church formed, and Paul is going to write to the Corinthian church and tell them, here's what God says about sexual immorality. Okay, we're going to talk about that word sexual immorality. So that's the context. This isn't like some ethereal, like someone found a plate and like this, it was, the verse was carved into it. No, Paul wrote these words. Again, God breathed those into like his spirit somehow miraculously. It's really God writing and not Paul writing. But Paul's writing these words to the church. He's saying like, don't be immoral in matters of sex. That is a sin. So what is sinful? What is not sinful? He's being very clear, and I want to be very clear with you. Sexual immorality is a sin. Verse 19, you surely know that your body is a temple where the Holy Spirit lives. Again, that's Christians. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to non-Christians right now? 
who, um, who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them? Only Christians. We've said this before. I want to be very clear. Not everyone has God living inside of their heart like that, right? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells believers, okay? So that's what he's talking He's talking to the church. And so if you're not a Christian here, you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's just the Bible says that some things are true, some things aren't, right? So the Spirit is in you and is a gift from God. You are no longer your own. God paid a great price for you, so use your body to honor God. Now, back up a couple verses. You're in 6, uh, 13 or 14. The next slide has it. 6.13. So he's going to use an illustration of food real quick. He's going to say food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, right? And God will destroy both and the other. Pause real quick. The reason he said God will destroy both and the other is he's just saying your stomach's not all that important when it comes to like eternity. You ate some things, right? Like that's it. Like there's nothing really spiritual going on with your actual physical stomach. Not super important, but there's a purpose for it. It's for food. Very simple, right? Very simple. It's elementary. We all understand when we eat, it goes into our stomach. Okay, use my dumb voice just to make sure that we're all understanding the same thing. Now, he's going to make it more complex. He's going to say the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So you're seeing there, what's the purpose of the stomach to like process your food, right? Like that's what the stomach does. What's the What's your created purpose? It's for the Lord. It's for the Lord. Why? Go all the way back to Genesis 1. How were you created? In his image, after his likeness. Right? He created all of this, and you were the capstone of his creation. But what we've done is we've said, well, I'm going to do whatever I want with my body. And what are we doing when we say that? We're saying, I know better than God. He's given me a purpose. I don't want to use my body for his purpose. He said, glorify your body. God has given it to you. Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So we've said, like, well, I want to do my own thing. Let me zero in on that word sexual immorality and just kind of highlight that for the rest of tonight. Sexual immorality, what does that word mean? In the Greek, I want you to buckle up, okay, because we're going we're gonna to take a little journey here. Uh, the Greek word is porneia. Porneia. Some of you are like, that sounds familiar. Yes, it does, doesn't it? Because porneia is the Greek word, and listen, I just got to be real honest with you. It doesn't translate word for word to like, because you're thinking like pornography, right? It's not actually just pornography. All throughout the scripture, it's used like 25 different times, and it's going to refer to, and if I can just go back to the last slide real quick, what does it refer back to? Sexual immorality. It's that word Greek, uh, the Greek word for uh, sexual immorality is porneia. It used, it's used all through the New Testament. Here's where I really want you to buckle up. You might have already seen it. Let's go to that next slide. The next, next one. Here's all the places or the ways that that word is used through the New Testament. I'll read them for you. We'll do this together. It'll be really fun. I'm going to read these words in front of you. Adultery. 
Listen, and let me just, before I, I, I get like, ooh, it's awkward, whatever. I don't care, but I'm embracing the awkward. I'm like, here, do you see how comfortable I am? I'm good. Because some of you are going to stumble into some mistakes. Some things on this screen, you're like, whoa, that's crazy. Never. But there's some other stuff on the screen. I want you to be ultra serious with me right now that you're like, yep, that's a part of my life. Okay? So we're going to take it seriously. Adultery homosexuality, bestiality, not a word you use very often. That is where a human would have sex with an animal. It's forbidden. It's forbidden. Okay, incest. Here's another word that maybe, shh, shh. Another word maybe is new to you. Let me just define all of them, okay? So adultery is cheating on your spouse. Hold on, I, I, I got it, I got it covered, but homosexuality, same-sex relationships, bestiality, already defined that one, incest is sexual relationships inside the family, okay? Sexual abuse, don't think we really need to talk too much about that, but I'll say this, sexual abuse and rape, let me just say that I really need you guys to take this seriously, Okay. Hey, Jonathan, can you chill? Because I need everyone to focus, and you're distracting right now. Thank you. Um, I need you to hear me clearly when I say, because I think there's sometimes there's some confusion about this. I, so, no, I'm not saying that. What if I was abused sexually, Mark? What if I was raped? Am I a sinner? Was that my fault? And I just think you need to hear me say, absolutely not your fault. Now, when we make a decision to participate in sin or sexual immorality, as we're talking about tonight, that is a sin, and that is offense against God. But there's plenty, the stats would say, plenty people in this room grew up being abused by someone they should have been able to trust. I need you to hear me say, I am so terribly sorry that that happened to you. I am hearing way too many stories of that happening. And... Um, it's not okay. God didn't make that happen to you. Our world is broken and someone decided to overpower a child. And I just need you to hear, I think it's one of the most despicable things on this planet. God would call it sin and no, it's not your fault. Now, if that's you, you're like, did I do something wrong? Is it? No. It's just someone was very selfish and did a very, very ugly thing, okay? And we're, we're going to talk about, like, what do I do now if that's my story in just a few moments? Um, so rape, uh, prostitution, right? Essentially paying for sex or selling your body for sex, uh, earning money through that, uh, and pornography. I studied this. I've been living with this. It's a gross, it's a gross lesson. Some of this stuff is real difficult, and so as much as you're like, oh, like I've been living in this as I study it. Um, but these are the places, these are the words that are talked about. These are answering some of the questions that you have, okay? These are addressing some of the things that uh, you're like wondering, do we believe this or do we, we're not going to do questions. You can ask a question next week. How about that? Um, save it. Don't forget it. Um, so here's, here's what I want to talk to you about. Because I... I could preach for a couple weeks and we 
we could tackle all these, but um, I'd be happy if you would be interested next week, if you'll come next week. Next week is going to be like a new level of interesting at Fuse because we're going to do kind of an ask anything service within the bounds, right? We've already been taking questions and all that. I'd, I'd be happy to show you all the different places scripture talks about. Some places uh, like adultery is all over. I don't know how to tell you where it is. It's all over, right? It's all over the scripture. But these are the places, these are the words that are uh, describing what sexual immorality is. Sexual sin. These are things that would, would be sins, offenses against God. Now, let me say this real fast. What does the Bible affirm as the right way to view sex? I just need to say this real quick. Hebrews 13.4 sums it up because it's connecting Genesis 2 all the way to Hebrews 13.4. I hope it's on the screen. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulteress. Now, I'm going to talk for just a moment in, in, at the end of this message, okay, uh, about the back half of that, that God will judge. But for real quick, I just want to say, let marriage be held in honor. If you ever wonder why we talk about that so much, my goodness, it's in the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. Jesus is going to talk about it. The prophets, the priests, and the kings are going to talk about it. Like, it's all over Scripture. It's in the letters all through the New Testament. Like, it is to be held in honor. Marriage. And what is marriage as, as the Bible defines it in Genesis chapter 2? You're thinking like, oh, Mark thinks this politically or that. He's trying to control. No, no, no. Genesis 2 says a man shall leave his, his husband. I'm sorry, his, wow. <laughs> Genesis 2 says a man shall leave his father and his mother, not his husband because he doesn't have one. That's not what we're talking about, okay? A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. The first week, I talked about all, all the different places in Scripture. It repeats that over and over again. You're like, why are you being so judgmental? God said it. I'm, I don't know how else to say it. Like, like oh, Christians are so judgmental. No! Like, we are just as messed up as everyone else. Just as messed up, right? Oh, you just don't like the idea of same-sex marriage and all that kind of stuff? No! Like, I could be involved in sin as a married man just as easily as any of these other things on the list, right? Do you think I'm holding one thing over the other? Like, I'm just trying to show you the Bible says all this other stuff is missing the mark. That's the word sin. It's like an, an arrow. If it perfectly hits the target, it perfectly hits the target. That's a bullseye. That's awesome. Everything else misses the mark, essentially. It was a pretty good shot because it was close. No, not perfect. It's sin. Everything else misses the mark. Now, Mark, you're married to a wife. You're a pastor. You must be perfect. No! God, Lee, how much do I have to tell you? Am I a hypocrite? I act like one sometimes. I'm just saying this. I'm a sinner who was saved by Jesus' blood that we sang about just a minute ago. That's why that, those words are so special to me because Without Jesus, I'm going to hell too. And that's what it is. Now, let me talk for just a moment about that last word on that list, pornography. Okay? Because that's the slippery one that really damages you more than you know now. 
I mean damages you. I wrote down eight different things, and some of them kind of go together. First, and these are not going to be on the screen. I just kind of need you to listen to me. First, it objectifies women. And you can argue with me if you want. By the way, if you want to argue with me, come next week ready to do it, and I will argue with you, okay? It's just a promise. Like, I'll do it. I'll have all the conversations with you. It objectifies women. Gosh, you should not, you should not be going straight to porn for any sort of satisfaction. It supports a destructive industry. What most people don't know is that the porn industry and the sex trafficking industry are like linked, okay? You visiting a porn website a lot of times is supporting sex trafficking, and you don't even know it, and you don't even know it. Not to mention just the identity and the depression that comes from the people that are trying to get out of the porn industry, trying to get out of the sex trafficking industry. Maybe they made a mistake when they were young. We've all done it. But it supports a a destructive industry. It distorts your view of sex. This is a whole sermon right here. So let me just say it as fast as I can. What ends up happening, I'm just going to talk like to the guys in the room if I can. Like what what happens when you look at porn is you're like, oh, so that's how it works. I'll go do that. And then what happens is, is there's a ton of men forcing themselves on women because there's so much out there that is teaching men to dominate women, whether they like it or not. And so a ton of sexual abuse originates with porn. Not not to mention the fact that we end up with marriages that are harmed and damaged because a guy has this idea of what it's going to be like. And let me tell you, it is not reality. It's not. I know you don't want to go have an awkward conversation with your parents at dinner tomorrow night and be like, hey, what do you guys think about porn? Is it the real thing? I know you don't want to do that. You can if you want. I'll give, I'll give your parents a, a warning. It damages marriages. And wh- why is marriage so important? Let marriage be held in honor among all. It leaves you feeling empty. There's not this like, ah, I feel so good about myself. It's going to get way worse in just a moment. I'm going to give you these three in a row. It creates an unhealthy cycle of you. It, uh, unhealthy cycle, it's addictive. There are sex addiction and porn addiction um, resources that people are going to because they can't get away from it. And it creates neural pathways in your brain. I want you to zero in on what I'm about to say. It creates a pattern, a little pathway in your brain. The way your brain is created, again, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Made in the image of God. God had a plan. Male and female, he created them. What happens all throughout different moments of life when you have those chemical hits where something, like whether it's um, uh, oxytocin or dopamine or something that like gets shot into your brain and it makes you feel great about what just happened, that's the same thing awkward, as what happens when you have an orgasm. Now, follow me. Awkward, Mark. Follow me. What happens is your brain is made to bond when that happens. But you're bonding to a device. Bonding and bonding and bonding and bonding. 
And some people have been bonding to pornography and your brain. Listen, this isn't like, well, Mark thinks this. I'm telling you, your brain is being shaped, physically shaped. Your synapses are firing and saying, when I am depressed, when I am hurt, when I am sad, I go do this. And I get a dopamine hit. And then I have this carve, carving in my brain where the electricity fires off and it says, next time you're sad, come back and this is going to be great for you. And then what happens is you get married and you're like, ah, oh, no more porn. That's great. I don't need porn. And ask any married person, just turn it off? No. Why? Because you've tricked your brain and you've programmed your brain to say, when I'm sad or depressed or when I need to feel something, I go to porn. And it's damaging. And it's damaging. I just need you to hear me say it. I struggled with even thinking about saying this out loud because some of you haven't seen porn yet. The stats would say, the stats would say the average person has seen porn by like eight or nine years old. And so if that's true, then 100% of us have seen it, okay? Some of us see it on accident for the first time, and that is like so sad. I hate that it happens. I don't want you to be like, oh, this is all intriguing. Like, maybe I should go search for it. Please don't be that ignorant. Don't be that ignorant. That would be like if I, as a parent, right, if I, as a parent, were like driving my family out to 610, and I pull the old, uh, the big wheel out, and I'm like, all right, Cohen, you're seven. Seems like you ought to be able to handle this by yourself. Don't worry about the traffic coming. Like, you can handle it. And, and, and don't, don't mistake my illustration for saying that it's okay for adults to do that either. Sinful for adults to do that. Sinful, it is sin. It is sin. And you're walking into destruction. So, it's as practical as this. When you're tempted to look at it, you weren't created for that. Take a little more step into the awkward. When someone pressures you to send them pictures of yourself, first of all, they don't deserve you. They don't love you. If you've ever done that, I love you. Shame on you. I love you. God loves you. You don't love them. You want, you, that was a moment of selfishness. You're sharing something that's supposed to be private. Something for your marriage. Why? Genesis 1 and 2. Right? Hebrews 13. Let marriage be held in honor. I want to do my own thing. Okay. I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna hurt yourself. I know you're going to hurt yourself. Here's what I think about it. Fire, um, for me, brought a lighter here. This is like, does it, is anyone in danger? Like, is anyone, are we good? Are we good? Like, is anyone like, <gasps> it's fire. Okay. Shh, 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 
fire in this lighter right, is, is a safe place. I grew up as like a pyro, right? I, a uh, pyromaniac, meaning like I go to like a camp out and they're like, let's play football. I'm like, I'm fine just poking this fire. That's all I want to do right now. Can we make the fire bigger? Fire is great. You know, I just, I just loved it. It was something about anyone else a pyromaniac? Like you're like, yeah, awesome. Have I, have I made some mistakes? Yes. Have I made some mistakes with fireworks? Absolutely, I have. Not saying that's good. I'm just saying there's something about fire. I'm like, ooh, that's awesome. I, um, I just got a new smoker, an offset smoker. It's awesome. I've, I've lived here in Texas for three years. I've been brought into the ways of Texas barbecue um, I love it, finally. I love it. I just, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot to get into. But I love Texas barbecue. And so last night, um, actually all, all afternoon into the evening, I was, I was doing something called burning it in, which is like you're getting that fire as hot as you can because there's all this, like, manufacturing stuff that's all over it. You just got to get all that stuff. You got to burn it all out because you don't want that stuff dripping on, like, your brisket. Like, you burn it out, and it's done, and then you can then you can then you can cook on it. And as I, I, I called my friend who's a pit master in Nashville, and, and he said, get the fire as hot as you can, literally as hot as you can. Just throw it. It's like, yes! You don't need to tell me twice. So I'm out there, like literally two of my family members are sick, and I'm like, I just want to sit by this fire. That's all I want to do right now. And so I'm tossing coal in there. I'm tossing wood in there. It smells good in my backyard. It smells like a barbecue restaurant. And honestly, it was like a safe place for a fire. But what happens if I decide to, like, take that fire and just kind of let it loose? You ever, you ever seen the videos of, like, the wildfires? This is serious. This is serious, okay? You ever seen the videos of, like, the wildfires that happen in California? They've been in Australia, I think, last year. And there's all these different things that happen um, that are dangerous. They're uncontrollable. And so you take something that's, like, no big deal right here. But this, out in the wild, is incredibly dangerous, uncontrolled. This is a gift that you can use. Anyone, um, did anyone, like, during the freeze last year, did you have a fireplace that you depended on for your house to not be 32 degrees inside? You're like, I can get it to 40. Okay, it's great. 40 degrees. I can live. You snuggled by the fireplace. It'll cook your food. It'll do all kinds of wondrous things for us. It's a gift. Fire's a gift. But you don't use it correctly, and it's dangerous. It destroys things. And sex is the same way. Is sex a sin? No. God gave it to us. This is something to enjoy where it's supposed to be enjoyed in the context of marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Now, is Mark saying that because he's got some agenda to push? Help me understand. Like, are, are you with me? Mark's not, like, trying to, like, wave a political flag right now. Somehow we've made something biblical about all the other things. I'm just reading what God has given us and saying it seems like he has a plan for us that we ought to follow. Now, real quick, real quick. Mark, what happens if I've already messed up in this area? Am I damaged goods? It says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. It seems like it's already been defiled. 
What now? If you read the Bible the way it's supposed to be read, especially the parts where Jesus is talking, all over Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, Jesus is talking about matters of the heart. He's going to talk about specific issues, marriage. He's going to talk about murder. He's going to talk about money. He's going to talk about church. He's going to talk about all kinds of things, but it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. And you've heard me say this before, and you're going to hear me say it again. It doesn't matter what you've done. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe tonight was the very first time someone said, God's created you with a purpose for that stuff. It's a good thing when you use it how it's supposed to be used. And I love that the Bible in 1 John 1, 9 says, says these words. In fact, I want to, yeah. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, let me recall the song that we ended on. What can wash away my sins? Do you know the line? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That like white as snow, that white as snow line is referring to the fact that what was stained with sin has now been washed white as snow. And Christians in the room, when you've placed your faith in Jesus, God looks at you and he sees the perfection and the holiness of Jesus. He doesn't see the sin anymore. It's crazy. I'm a sinner. I've been saved. I have the spirit and the nature of a spiritual man. Somehow, I, I war between like sin and my flesh and my selfishness and like wanting to pursue Jesus. And we all wrestle with that. And we feel guilty when we sin. But if you're a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus, God looks at you and sees the perfection of Jesus. Now, what did he see on Jesus when Jesus was dying on the cross? Your sin and my sin. That burden only he could carry. That's why that moment was so difficult. Obviously, physically, just for Jesus to be crucified. But to bear the weight of all of our sin, all of it, future sin, Mark, am I damaged goods if I've already messed up? We've all messed up. We've all messed up. You may not have done stuff on the screen. Maybe you've done stuff that was on the screen. We've all messed up. All sin separates us from God. And when you place your faith in Jesus, he washes it white as snow. That's what the Bible says. Nothing in here is me trying to convince you to live a certain way or to do something. I'm just saying, like, look at the scriptures and fall in love with this God who loves us so much that he gave his only son. And you have to decide. I can't decide for you. I know it's heavy. I know it's heavy, but I, I need you to know that from this point forward, you can rededicate your life to Jesus. You can dedicate your life to him, surrender for the first time. 
Would you close your eyes for just a moment? I'm going to let you out in 60 seconds, okay? I'm going to let you out in 60 seconds. Hang with me. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus and you're realizing tonight for the first time that God has a purpose for you, and God has a plan for you, that God loves you, and that you want to place your faith in him, I would invite you just to hang back. You can talk to me. You can talk to Eli. You can talk to one of the leaders around you. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. It's too easy. I want you to, like, get up and be bold and say, hey, I need to place my faith in Jesus. Some of the rest of you, maybe you're convicted because the Holy Spirit's reminding you that this sexual immorality is not the way he created you. And you need to put that stuff away. That's business you've got to do with God. I'm going to pray for you, okay? Heavenly Father, wherever we are tonight, God, we just, we just have to find ourselves at your footsteps. You are the creator of all of this, and you did give us a purpose and a plan. None of us are perfect, and no one expects perfection, but some of us do need to take a step of obedience in putting that stuff aside, whether it's what we do uh, in the dark when we're by ourselves or with a boyfriend and girlfriend or just the thoughts that we have. Lord, help us to become more like your son. For the people that need to place their faith in you for the first time tonight, I pray that they'd be bold. And that's it. I pray that they would be bold. They'd respond to your love by receiving your gift of salvation. It's in your name I pray. Amen.